Welcome to the Cumberland River Compact's River Talks podcast. In each episode of River Talks, we explore a new topic related to the health, enjoyment, and protection of the Cumberland River Basin's water, people, and special places. We sit down with experts, artists, researchers, professionals, and more to share their knowledge and experiences. I'm Katherine Price, your River Talks host. Be sure to subscribe to River Talks to be notified of every new episode. And if you have a moment, please rate and review our podcast. From 1933 to 1942, thousands of men across Tennessee created some of our most treasured outdoor places, like our Tennessee State Parks and the Great Smoky Mountain National Park. These men were part of the Civilian Conservation Corps, a New Deal-era program to employ and train young men to complete projects in support of the environment and conservation. Across our state and country, the impact of this program can still be seen today. In this episode of River Talks, we talk with Matthew Galani and Amanda McCrary-Smith from the Tennessee State Museum. Matthew is a museum curator, and Amanda is the curator of textiles and fashion. Together, they share about the history, impacts, and legacy of the Civilian Conservation Corps in Tennessee and beyond. Well, Matthew and Amanda, thank you so much for joining the River Talks podcast today. I'm really looking forward to talking with you and learning more about the Civilian Conservation Corps in Tennessee and beyond. So, Let's just start with the basics. What was the Civilian Conservation Corps? Yeah, so I can start with that. Um, The Civilian Conservation Corps was actually founded as the Emergency Conservation Work Program uh, in 1933. And it's what's considered to be part of President Franklin Delano Roosevelt's alphabet soup. Um, So if you've ever heard all the acronyms dealing with the New Deal programs, the WPA, the CCC, Well, the CCC, which is the name it eventually gets in about 1937, stands for the Civilian Conservation Corps. Um, And to be honest, it's exactly what the name implies. It is a group of civilians um, who are working on environmental conservation during the 1930s and a little bit in the 1940s. And the core comes from the fact that there's very much a military structure to it. And I always think of, and Amanda might want to add to this, as the CCC really having two major goals. And the first, of course, has to deal with massive unemployment at the time, getting young men to work, economic recovery. But the second part of it, which I think gets overshadowed sometimes, really is environmental conservation. Um, And you see this, and I have a quote um, from FDR, he's talking to Congress in the 1930s. And when he's talking about the CCC, he says, I call your attention to the fact that this type of work is of definite practical value, not only through the prevention of greater present financial loss, referring to the Great Depression, of course, but also as a means of creating future national wealth. And I think that future national wealth really is the conservation part of it that he's referring to. And of course, we can talk more about that later on, but that's really kind of the two main pillars of the CCC, I would say, um, in its creation. And so when we think about sort of this alphabet soup that FDR had and some of the factors that were going on at the time. I mean, this was a really big and large government program that went on for a while. So what exactly was happening during that 1930s and early 1940s period that allowed for the creation of something like the Civilian Conservation Corps? 
Yeah, and I think that's a great question because, of course, even today, anytime in politics you get with massive federal spending on that scale, there's going to be a question of, well, how does this get passed? How do you push it through? Um, and of course, the short answer is the Great Depression, right? In 1929, the stock market crashes. The early 1930s, you have a failure of the Bank of Tennessee, you know, massive unemployment rates in rural and urban areas. And really, the Alphabet Super, the CCC and the New Deal programs, they're welfare programs to help put um, men and women, with the CCC's case, young men, back to work. Um, so really, it's the Depression, it's um, FDR's kind of initiative that kind of, and his government's initiative that pushes it through. But it really is the Great Depression that sets the stage for this program being passed. You know, if you try to pass programs like this in other eras, other decades, maybe it doesn't go through. You know, there certainly were criticisms of it at the time. Not everyone was for that much government spending. You had the labor movement who was worried at first that it might lower overall wages. But it really is the Great Depression that sets the stage, I would argue, um, for a program like the CCC to get pushed through in the early 1930s. And then speaking locally in the state of Tennessee, um, you also have the beginnings of state parks in 1937. So the program coincides with you know, the development of, in our area, state parks. Um, but there's also nationally a real conservation mindset I mean, you know, this, it, it just happens to be at this, right, this apex historically of, you know, the country thinking more about their natural spaces. Um, you know, the previous Roosevelt and the national parks movement that, that influenced the state parks movement. Um, and then in Tennessee, I think it's really important to touch on the fact that, you know, you have rural areas, very rural areas, like more so than we ever think about now um, where there's no development. They're beautiful spaces, but there's no development. And I mean development of natural spaces. And so you have, you know, places where the CCC can really be put to work to bring, you know, potentials for parks, recreational areas, and, you know, build something that, that helps out these rural communities that have, you know, no development, no no ability to find jobs, that sort of thing. And so it's a really important, both environmental conservation and development of infrastructure for natural spaces in, in Tennessee. And it's interesting the way you both pulled out that conservation part, because I think sometimes in the way we look back on it, we, we kind of forget almost that really strong environmental angle that the CCC had. And I know you mentioned this being sort of at the same time as the national parks and the state parks movement, was this something that FDR in particular was very, um, was a strong proponent of? Was it coming from him or was it coming from somebody else within the federal government, this push for the environmental focus? Um, FDR was a very conservation-minded president. Um, and he ran a, a similar program when he was governor of New York. There was a small conservation program there that um, a lot of people credit that as you know the beginning model for the CCC. Um, and I think you know the conservation aspect of it, nowadays we think about conservation a lot differently because we already have you know the structures and the methods in place. But in the rural communities in the South, we're talking about you know staving off erosion and flood control and things like that as a part of that conservation. And it really made a difference to communities who were largely agricultural. Um, you know, to, to succeed in terms of farming or, you know, having successful farms. So I think it, 
in my opinion, and I think Matthew could speak to this a little better, it's definitely coming from the top, from Roosevelt himself. I would say, yes, there's definitely, like Amanda said, you know, FDR and, and his sort of conservation work in New York. But I think, and Amanda would also speak to this, I'm sure, um, you know, it's not just FDR, right? He's talking about conservation at this time. And um, Amanda and I actually are doing some research for something else on the founding of the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, which of course I believe is 1934. So going on during the CCC program and CCC men actually do a lot of work for the Smoky National Park and of course state parks across Tennessee. So you really have even before FDR, a push for conservation in the area that goes back to massive logging projects going on um, in Appalachia is one example in, in the tens and twenties. So um, yes, there definitely very much is, I think a push from the president and you see these projects working well with conservation, but I think also at the same time, it's not something just limited right to the government. There are private citizens who are also very much interested. Of course, what they're conserving and how they're conserving it is a whole nother topic, but uh, that's definitely um, something that's going on, I think in the social realm as well too. So you've talked a little bit about kind of where the CCC members were and the and the people that were involved in this. And so could you talk about sort of the men and it was all men, as far as I understand, in the CCC, what were their characteristics? Were there qualifications that they needed in order to enroll in this program? How did they get together to be part of the CCC? Sure, and if you'd like, Amanda, I can start with this. Um, so as you said, um, they are in fact men. Uh, that's not to say that all um, New Deal programs were just for men. You of course had women who participated in New Deal programs, but when it comes to the CCC, it is single, unemployed, not in college, young men, usually between the ages of 17 and 23. Uh, sometimes you'll get a little bit older. I think they expand that to 28 a little bit later on, but it's young, single, unemployed men. That's really who's targeted by the CCC who they're looking to put into work. Um, you do have some example of older men though. They're actually different designated Native American and World War I veteran corps as well too. Um, but that's really who is being targeted is putting young unemployed men back to work. Um, and it's of course within an army structure. So a lot of these men, some of which who of course never been to college, you know, maybe never been out of their home state are getting this new experience in a army like setting, you know, maybe in a place they've never been before. Uh, but that's who's really being targeted by the program. And were the people that enrolled in the CCC, like, let's say, if they were coming from a rural part in Tennessee, did they serve in rural Tennessee or were they moved to different parts around the country? Um, so that it depends. And Amanda can also speak to this well, too. But um, in a lot of cases, I think I was reading a statistic where when you look at the majority of CCC corpsmen who were in Tennessee, most of them were from the state. Um, but they do travel outside the state unless, and this is something we'll talk about later, you were African-American, in which case your African-American um, core camp was stationed in the state you were from and you were not allowed to leave that state. Um, so in some cases, men did travel across the state, but not in all of them, and particularly when it came to African-American uh, core men at the time. Now, I can only speak to what I know about the camps in Tennessee, um, and there were 77 camps, so there, there were quite a few um, they seem to travel between projects within the state. So you would have, you know, a, a unit that would go from, say, East Tennessee into Middle Tennessee to work on another project and then back to maybe either their home quarters or to, you know, be re, um, I guess, re-enlisted or, or, 
you might want to edit this out. I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> I don't know about the army terminology. Um, but but you know, they their camp may move to another place, but it would be it seems like to me within our state that you have largely Tennesseans working in the Tennessee CCC camps. And if it helps to Amanda, this is from uh, the Tennessee State Library and Archives website, but they say out of about 76,600 enrollees who, in, who served in Tennessee, 72,600 were from the state. Um, so definitely a very heavy amount of Tennesseans working on conservation projects in the volunteer state. Wow, that's really interesting because I usually, for some reason, had this impression that they were really moving all around the country to these remote places out west, but it really was local impact. That's that's really cool to hear. And when we think about the CCC, I think it's something people learn about a lot in school. It's, it's kind of part of what we understand about American history, and it's coming up a lot more as we're looking at new large federal programs that are being modeled after the CCC. So what are some of the impacts of the CCC? What, what was happening in that short-term period? And then what long-term are we looking back historically at the CCC and seeing you know, an economic or environmental or social impact of this program? Well, I think I can speak to what was happening in the state. Um, in, in short-term, of course, it's just people were put to work. Um, you know, the massive unemployment rates during the Great Depression, um, that was something that to overcome that, the objective was to just put people to work. Um, and the CCC, more than some other New Deal programs, had a very specific organized focus. So, um, you know, the, the way that they were able to maneuver that program into existence is very impressive. But um, you know, putting people to work was the objective. And it did that, but it also more, you know, long-term within the state in terms of conservation and environmental um, concerns, you know, there's the erosion projects, the flooding, and they worked hand in hand with, with other New Deal programs like the TVA to bring electricity to the rural South. Um, you know, they worked with state parks to to build you know new facilities to build new recreational areas and so long term what happens within Tennessee is you have all of these beautifully preserved spaces that we still in 2021 can go and enjoy and you know I don't think it's any small thing that as we've gone through the last 18 months of a pandemic you know some of these parks that we're talking about have become like a refuge for people to enjoy outdoor spaces when they couldn't enjoy other things. And so I think there's an, there's an interesting legacy there of, you know, providing in the beginning jobs and, you know, addressing environmental concerns and planting trees. And now those things exist for future generations to continue enjoying. And I think Amanda, those are great points with the long-term and the short-term. And I know we were talking yesterday, I think there's also some, I guess, medium-term impacts if you want to call them that. And I think it really goes to one is it's important to remember that there are classes offered to some of these men, a lot of these men who are working in the CCC, and some of them are getting, you know, some education, you know, not, of course, the equivalent of a college education or replacing school or vocational school, but they are getting training at an educational level and for some of them who will never get the opportunity to go to college or continue their schooling. That's really going to impact them as individuals. And also, I think it's important to remember that 
you know, this is kind of an army style setup and we're on the brink of World War II. So when World War II does start, you know, a lot of these men who served in the CCC will then serve in the military and serve overseas. So I think those are some impacts, you know, that maybe aren't talked about as much as, of course, the conservation, which is critical and the employment. But those are definitely some things I think at a personal level for a lot of the men who served uh, were definitely important as impacts. I think that's a great point, and especially for those of us who don't always think think about history in very distinct chunks, and then you realize these chunks sit right next to each other. So you go from the CCC right into World War II, and sometimes we think about those separately in our head. And so during this time that the CCC was going on and thinking about over 70,000 men in Tennessee being involved in these projects, what was the perception of the CCC? What did the public think about this when it was active? Were, people aware that this was happening or was it sort of something people kind of knew about, but it wasn't really part of the public conscious? I think that, um, so the CCC in like, in modern historiographical examinations of it, and even, you know, less historiographical, just more straightforward history of it, it was perceived by the public as probably the most popular New Deal program. Um, and I think that there's an element of it with any of the New Deal programs. There was a lot of there was a lot of propaganda, um, and and I mean that in the truest form of the word. That you know they put out posters about what the CCC was doing in these areas, how they were helping development, how they were controlling, you know, erosion. And so there was a public perception with the CCC that it was ultimately an organization that was helping people and, it, and not just helping people have jobs, but helping the communities that they were at work in. And, and I think that owes to its popularity. And there's also, you know, that's a time period where there's a lot of emphasis on, you know, this kind of um, let's do it for the country patriotism. And I think that that is also at work in terms of the popularity of the CCC is it had that army-like um, organization to it. And so people saw it, like Matthew was saying earlier, as, as a core, like truly as this kind of, you know, environmental military. And so it was, it was very popular with the public and it was especially popular here within the state. And Matthew, I know you mentioned briefly earlier a little bit of pushback from the labor unions. Could you talk a little bit about that? So, yeah, and that's something that I think um, is important to remember that while the CCC is popular, you know, we talked about it a bit before, anytime there's massive government spending, there's going to be critics on it. So um, one of the concerns was, I believe, that there were people in the labor movement who thought essentially you're offering this help, you're offering this welfare. Well, that's going to, it may help some people in the short run, but that means that then wages for those working in other sectors will go down or maybe not be willing to work as much because of the CCC as an option. So I think, um, you know, there were ways that, as I understand it, FDR tried to navigate this. I think one was appointing Robert Fechner, who I believe was involved in labor unions before as the director of the CCC is sort of a way of saying, look, you know, we've got someone who's on the union side of it, the labor side of it involved in the program as well too. Um, so that was definitely, I think, on people's minds. But of course, just like, you know, at any time people, you know, are also gonna look at it in different ways. Yes, the larger labor movement as a whole or unionists might look at it with one lens, but if you're unemployed and can't get a job and the CCC offers help, you may not think of it in that longer, larger lens. You're gonna take that opportunity. So. But that also was part of the discussion as well, too, 
uh, for these government programs. And I think now as the CCC is becoming more popular as we're thinking about can this be a program to address climate change, people are looking back at this program and sort of saying, well, there were some criticisms, there were some things that could be done better. So we've talked about the fact that it was only men, talked a little bit about the low pay and the fact that it was racially segregated. So could you talk a bit about some of the criticisms um, that were then and sort of when we're looking back on this program, what are some of the criticisms and how the CCC was set up? Um, if you'd like, I can start with the one major one, major one which we talked about, um, which of course is segregation. And I think it's important to remember, this is not just a modern historical critique of the CCC. At the time, the CCC was being criticized for being segregated by organizations like the NAACP. So it's very much a criticism in the 1930s and here in 2021. Um, but as I understand it, when the CCC was first formed in its charter legislation, it says that it's not going to discriminate, that it's gonna offer opportunities. But of course, what it says in its legislation, what it practices in reality are two very different things. So initially, I believe you do have some integration in some of the Northern camps in certain areas, but eventually you have segregation as a policy for the CCC. And Robert Feshner, the director who we talked about before, is one of the higher up individuals who pushes for this. And when he gets pushback from the NAACP and other social organizations, he actually writes a letter to the head of the NAACP and says, and I'm quoting, this segregation is not discrimination and cannot be so construed. So he's basically looking at it from the mindset which you see at the time, which comes from Plessy versus Ferguson, separate but equal, which of course we know is ludicrous, but at the time believed that this was the policy. Now, what Fetchner is not talking about is the fact that it's next to impossible, if not impossible for upward mobility for black CCC men at the time to move up in positions that there's going to be racist practices when they try to enlist. And on top of that, the fact that if a African-American young man wants to join the CCC, he has to wait for a spot to open up in a segregated camp. It doesn't matter if there are 50 spots open in a white camp, if the black or African-American camp is full, he will not be able to join. So the fact there is you're putting a quota on the amount of African-American men that can join. And of course, um, on top of all of this, you have the governors of the states who are deciding where African-American camps are located and those men cannot leave the state. And you see issues in Northern and Southern states, as I understand it, where predominantly white communities have racist backlash to black camps being near their locations, despite the fact that these African-American men are contributing heavily to these conservation projects. They are part of this organization that they are doing work for those communities. You still see racist backlash to that as well. So I think it's important to remember that Yes, the CCC does a lot of good. It does employ a lot of men, but this segregation is going on at the time. It's in society. It's not limited to society. It is bleeding into the CCC and affecting who the CCC helps and how they help them as well, too. And I, I can speak to that on a local level um, with some real specificity. Um, you know, the, the policy within the CCC camps of segregation is definitely, you know, mirrors local policies or, or local ideas about segregation. And so with state parks here in Tennessee, you see these, you know, there's there's several CCC units um, that are that are all black units and they move around to different projects. But you know, for example, at Montgomery Bell State Park, which is my local park, um, the closest to my house, there's a 
there's a structure there called the spillway and and there's like acorn and like woodhaven well those structures were specifically built by an african-american unit um it was um units four four nine five and they were from knoxville and they came they were moved from knoxville in december of 1935 to montgomery bell which is in dixon county tennessee and they built this massive you know, spillway project with two lakes for people to enjoy and have recreation. And, and the people of the town argued that there needed to be a separate road for the Black unit to travel on so that, you know, it didn't disturb, um, in their words, the community around them. And, you know, the and then the, the irony, of course, is that you have people building these, it's, if you could see the spillway, it's a very sophisticated structure. Um, and they can't enjoy this park. They can't enjoy what they built. Um, and then also within Tennessee State Parks, there was a, a movement that it wasn't out of benevolence. It was out of a desire to keep Black people away from these state parks that they were building um, to, to build two specifically segregated African-American parks, um, and they're called T.O. Fuller and Booker T. Washington. And right now, state parks, and I think this is, this is something I really wanted to highlight because I think it's an excellent project. Um, they're working on getting those two parks built exclusively for African-American people by Black CCC units on the National Register of Historic Places so that people are aware that, you know, these places existed and that they are areas that are really important to Black history. And they're not just, you know, state parks and natural areas. They have another type of social history. Yeah, thank you for that. That's, it's fascinating and sad and, and unsurprising and surprising in all those same ways at the same time. Um, and we've talked a little bit about some of the projects, you know, in Tennessee and across the U.S. and I think a lot of us are probably familiar with CCC projects and might not know that they're CCC projects. So let's start big across the US. What were some of the projects that the CCC members took on that we might be familiar with? Yeah, so I would say two major ones. One, of course, which is a national park and close to home and the other is a national park and a bit farther away are uh, the Smoky Mountains National Park in Appalachia. I mean, the CCC does a ton, whether it's and Amanda can correct me if I'm missing anything or leaving anything out, but from trails to fire prevention to, you know, in Tennessee also helping with flood control as well and flood relief. Um, so really a lot of that early work that goes on in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park is done by CCC men um, at that time, the 1930s. But of course it's going out all across the country. I know we focused a lot on Tennessee. It makes sense we're here in Nashville. But this is really a national program. I think one great example of that is, I mean, Crater Lake National Park, which is all the way in Oregon as well, too, is another one of the oldest national parks, I think, that is getting a lot of CCC help at that time as well, too, with similar issues as well. So it's really something that's stretching from coast to coast. Like Amanda's mentioned, numerous state parks that are being held, but also national larger federal parks as well, too. So those are to give you an idea of some of the larger projects that are getting worked on. And then what about here in Tennessee? What are some of the examples? I know we've talked about Montgomery Bell a little bit and some of those other parks. Uh, what, what was happening here in Tennessee? So I am a, I am quite the visitor of state parks. Um, I was actually just at Cumberland Mountain State Park, which is a CCC park. Um, 
And if you go there, you can see the seven arch bridge that they built. Um, so, you know, huge infrastructure projects that are now more like tourist attractions. Um, but at the time they were meant for flood control, for, you know, bringing, um, like I said earlier, having, so people could have successful agriculture. Um, that site actually is really interesting because there's a place called um, the Homestead Community. And it was a planned community with the idea that they would like screen people to come in and, you know, almost create an ideal type of, of town. Um, and those structures were built by the CCC as well. Um, and then there's Pickett State Park, which is the CCC Memorial State Park. Um, there's several other very specific, you know, CCC sites within Tennessee State Parks, but I think those are really, you know, the big ones that still have the infrastructure built by the men who were, you know, building the camp or building the parks themselves. Um, and I, I would be remiss too, and I know Matthew and I talked about this, if I didn't mention um, that one of the legacies of the CCC was that, or not legacy necessarily, but um, one of the things the men created to enjoy um, their time in the CCC camps was they had CCC baseball. Um, and they used to travel all around the state, each individual camp, um, that had a team would travel from one park to the other and they would play games. And now State Parks does um, like a, a, it's like a um, vintage baseball kind of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Edit this out. Um, Retro or vintage? No. Um, like a reenactment or something? Yeah, it's not, I mean, it's a real game. Um, anyway, um, we'll but they the have- Right. <laughs> yeah, they have um, they have vintage baseball games and they draw, you know, they draw a pretty big crowd because it's like an old fashioned, you know, um, lots of injuries, that sort of thing. Um, <laughs> but they they say parks does that to kind of bring the history of the CCC alive within the parks that the CCC built. It really gives a new perspective hearing about the ways the CCC has in impacted Tennessee when you go to these state parks. Like I know I've been to Pickett and you see the statue of a man there who was part of the CCC as that memorial park and kind of look at it and then you carry on along your trails and you see the little lake and everything and you, you sort of don't think about who was there, who was creating this and that impact. I mean, who doesn't know about the Great Smoky National Park and who doesn't, you know, want to enjoy that area and to think that it was this group of men um, during this time creating that is, is really cool and gives it a new perspective. Um, and I know I've heard maybe both of you have some family connections to the CCC. So do you all want to tell us about that? My, my grandfather was in the CCC and so is his older brother. Um, they were both out of Tullahoma. And my grandfather was only in it for a short period of time because he went to World War II um, the year that the CCC was disbanded. Um, and it was disbanded, of course, because of the war. Other reasons too, there was arguments for, you know, big government and too much bureaucracy and that kind of thing. Um, and, but my uncle Earl, who was his older brother, um, he served in the CCC for quite a few years. And, you know, I think for my grandfather and his brother, they had a really difficult life like they they were from coffee county they were raised by a single mother you know they didn't have anything really like my grandfather worked from the time he was 
very young on a farm and, you know, it gave him an opportunity to have training, to have education. And eventually I think it was the thing that gave him a structure that could carry over into his time in the war. And then afterwards, because he didn't have any kind of real family structure or, you know, stability in his life. And it also helped my great grandmother in the sense that, you know, she was raising these two young boys and they were sending money home to help her. And she was able to move to Nashville. She bought a house, you know, and from that point on, it it really improved. It really significantly improved the situation for my family. Yeah, my um, maternal grandfather uh, served in the CCC as well. He was born in about 1915. So he would have been about a teenager, early 20s, right when the CCC was being formed. Um, And he lived in Chicago, Illinois. So he lived in the city. Um, And by the time he was 13, both of his parents had passed away. Um, So he kind of worked to help take care of his siblings. He had quite a few, four younger siblings. And he joined the CCC. And I heard him talk about it a little bit. And my mother growing up heard him talk about it all the time. And he said it was some of the best days of his life. Uh, I mean, they sent him all the way out to Grant Pass, Oregon. Um, So, you know, for a young Polish kid from Chicago who had never been probably out of the city or out of the state to get all the way to Grant Pass, Oregon was very exciting. I think he joined like a swim and dive team with the CCC when he was out there as well, too, which he talked about sometimes. Um, and like Amanda's relatives, he ended up serving in World War II with the 101st as well uh, a few years later. So I think, um, you know, hearing him talk about it, I think it really was an opportunity for, you know, a young man who didn't have the opportunity to go to college or really travel or experience a lot of the United States or the world outside of World War II to get to go work on this project and to send some money back home to his siblings, I think was at least for him specifically, had a very positive impact on his life. Um, so I know that's just one story, but just kind of an uh, interesting family connection, I think. Well, thank you both for sharing those stories, because I do think it gives that personal connection to something that is so big. And you think about 70,000 people just in Tennessee, and then you multiply that by all the states, and all of a sudden, you know, these people kind of become anonymous. And so when you hear these stories and how it impacted you know, people in your family, and then you today, I mean, I think that that is really cool. So thank you for for sharing that. So is there anything else about the CCC that we haven't had a chance to talk about that you all want to share? I would say, and I think Amanda spoke to this really well, and she would second it, um, that this is not just and this is going to sound really cheesy, but it's the truth, I think. It's not, it's not just history that you get to read about in textbooks or, you know, by watching a video or something online. You know, I think for some people, history is anytime they can physically go to a place or get that experience in person, it means more. And I think, as Amanda said, I mean, these sites, these parks that these men worked on during a very tumultuous and critical point in our nation's history, not just for the economy, but for environmental conservation is they're still here and you can still go to these places and experience them. So I really would encourage, you know, not trying to be a salesman for state parks or national parks, or anything like that. But I think, you know, if you're really one of those people who likes to experience history and not just read about it, I mean, these parks, they're still there. You know, this history is, is still there physically for you to see. And I think that's really valuable for us, not just as a state, but as a country as well, too. Yeah, I think I think it's really important to note that of the New Deal programs that 
one of the things that I think stands out about the CCC, and I know, I know there are other programs you can make this argument, but the CCC in particular created these spaces that are ultimately so useful. And so, you know, imagine the generations of people who have enjoyed the work of these men creating these landscapes. Um, and that's, that's another thing to think about the next time you're, you know, hiking down a park trail is that was created by person. It didn't just, it didn't just, you know, magically come out of nowhere that you had people who worked very hard to, you know, clear these spaces to give us this ability to have, and I always think of it because I'm a historian as it's not just this encounter with nature, which is why I think a lot of people go to parks, but it also is in many places an encounter with history. Um, and, you know, whether you look at it from a natural history standpoint or like the New Deal, it, it, it really is a space, I think, a sacred space where, you know, we can have those experiences with the past that kind of carry over into the present. Very well put. Thank you. Well, I really appreciate both of you joining me today on River Talks. It's been great to learn more about the CCC and kind of dive into the history and think about it here in Tennessee. And I definitely feel like I have a new perspective on those parks and those trails and thinking about it being not just a natural heritage site, but being a cultural heritage site as well. So thank you for that. Okay, let me stop my recording. History tends to repeat itself, and that's certainly true with the Civilian Conservation Corps. To address the impacts of climate change in communities across the U.S. and to create a just transition to clean energy, a new CCC has been proposed, the Civilian Climate Corps. In January 2021, President Biden included the Civilian Climate Corps in his executive orders on climate change, but it had no funding attached to it to make it a reality. Since then, he has also included the CCC in his American Jobs Plan proposal, stating that the, quote, $10 billion investment will put a new, diverse generation of Americans to work conserving our public lands and waters, bolstering community resilience, and advancing environmental justice through a new civilian climate core, all while placing good-paying union jobs within reach for more Americans, end quote. Another current proposal for the CCC includes the Civilian Climate Corps for Jobs and Justice Act, proposed by Senator Edward Markey of Massachusetts and Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of New York. In their version of the CCC, quote, a diverse and equitable group of 1.5 million Americans over five years will complete federally funded projects that help communities respond to climate change and transition to a clean economy. The Civilian Climate Corps work would reduce carbon emissions, enable a transition to renewable energy, build healthier and more resilient communities, implement conservation projects with proven climate benefits, and help communities recover from climate disasters, end quote. Their proposal would amend the National and Community Service Act of 1990 to establish the Civilian Climate Corps. The original legislation in 1990 is what established the popular AmeriCorps program under the Commission on National and Community Service. The program is therefore already well situated to address the service needs of local communities across the United States and the ways to engage young people in service. 
As both Matthew and Amanda mentioned, there were some serious inequities with the previous CCC, and proponents of the new Civilian Climate Corps have pledged to address these. For example, Corps members could be offered $15 per hour, generous health insurance benefits, training, and education stipends. The program would also be open to all Americans that would want to participate, regardless of race, age, or gender. The Civilian Climate Corps has the power to be transformative in how local communities address climate change and implement climate adaptive projects. We can envision a future where thousands of people are working throughout the Cumberland River Basin to make our communities, waters, and lands more resilient to climate change. We encourage you to learn more about the Civilian Climate Corps and how it could impact your community. To close out today's episode, we will leave you with an audio recording of the song, High Seas, a song of the Civilian Conservation Corps, written by North Callahan. North Callahan was born in Sweetwater, Tennessee on August 7, 1908. He was educated at the University of Chattanooga, Columbia University, and New York University. Callahan was an author, playwright, news correspondent, actor, and musician. He died on December 28, 2004. The recording is courtesy of the Tennessee State Library and Archive. Mm-hmm.